With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready. Chris Landry here with me as well. Welcome into February. We made it through January. I've learned to celebrate just making it through months these days. So uh, we're into month 11, I guess, of of, uh, of the pandemic. Congratulations to all of us for making it this far. Chris, how are you? Neil, doing well. Yeah, boy, uh, January just flew by, and we are in the full throes. As we've got the Super Bowl this weekend, one game left, and um, in the throes of what I call affectionately scouting season. Scouting season is 12 months a year, but it's uh, such a busy time of year with um, – I don't know how you feel about it, but recruiting signing day, I don't like the way we're doing it. Uh, so I'll just jump on that for a second. I I think if we're going to have an early signing day, we ought to have it in July or August. And then we should have the second signing day, maybe even a little further back, like end of February. Uh, I just think it's a better calendar, but the calendar in college football just stinks. But it uh, certainly the the big hubbub over signing day which is you know first wednesday in february every year it used to be huge yep. it is now it's anticlimactic the signing day the real signing day is in december now and this is just okay we'll clean up some things and there's probably more news about the class of 2022 now than 2021 because there's not a whole lot left um which changed the other part of it is this old college free agency through the transfer portal so i know we're we're busy with all of that over at LandryFootball.com, but the calendar is just kind of um, – it's made this day a little anticlimactic, and quite frankly, I think that's what makes the NFL so really ahead of things in terms of how they put out the calendar and you're going to see how we're going to stretch out free agency and the whole draft preparation. College football just loses its momentum. We talked about it during December, how it can lose momentum, not this year because of – pandemic unfortunately but uh so yeah i you know excited but yet eh, not a whole lot to report on signing day because most of that's done yeah so it's kind of interesting you know I, i'll catch myself pushing back a little bit sometimes people are like oh you, you run a recruiting site and i'm like no not really um that's that's not really what it is at all and and i know that a lot of the people that that are longtime rivals subscribers initially subscribed for the recruiting coverage but, uh, you know, newspapers have died. We cover every game. We cover football, basketball, baseball. I mean, we cover 60 baseball games a year. 
So if you're a recruiting site, that makes no sense that you're spending that amount of time covering football practice and baseball practice and basketball stuff. My point, though, is that since this new this early signing period has come around, for example, tomorrow is is National Signing Day, part two, <laughs> and my anticipation is that Ole Miss is going to sign one player, um, and I think that's fairly common across the country. Uh, they did the overwhelming bulk of their signing in, in December brought in, I don't know, 22, 23 guys and they're saving a handful of spots for the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, I think they're going to have uh, four spots remaining, uh, maybe three that they can use in the transfer portal. And and I'm talking about Ole Miss, but just as a, as an anecdotal reference, because I think every, every school basically is in the same boat. And you mentioned the attentions on the 2022 guys, but the thing about the 2022 guys is from a, a, a rival site, if you will, we write about those guys, yet we have analytics. We can track it. It's, we're not selling that stuff. I mean, recruiting content has gone from something that that you use as a, a, a major sales piece to uh, to drive traffic, to bring new subscribers in, to now it's 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 more of just a maintenance piece, if you will. Um, nobody's getting breathless in February over a 2022 commitment. Not going to see them this year. And then kind of, you gotta, gotta have to remind everybody who they are next year at this time. Cause they kind of, well, who's that guy? Who's that guy again? That, you know, it's, yeah, it's not even that. It's just that, you know, I mean, a kid commits 10 months out. He's going to decommit at some point. He's going to reopen it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to have all this drama over the next 10 or 11 months. And, and uh, it's fine. It's, it's it's perfectly fine. But you're right. There was a there was a time not so long ago when the first Wednesday in February was this giant blinking light on the on the calendar that all the attention came to. It was sort of like the NFL draft. You know, it was you, you eight o'clock in the morning on the first Wednesday in in February was always this big dramatic moment, and that's gone now. And I, I'm I don't have as much of a problem with the calendar as you do. Uh, the, the the problem with an early signing day, and I'm generally with you, is the kids, a kid who signs in August, so many of those kids are going to see coaches get fired and all those things. They're going to want to reopen. You're going to have to have provisions for uh, what enables a kid to get out of a of a signed letter of intent. I, I don't have a problem with the early period. I, I think if you're going to have the early period like this, you probably should push the February period back a little bit, like you said, and give kids a little bit more time in January. This year, it's such an odd – this is such an odd season. These are all kids who are going to sign with, with schools tomorrow who've been unable to visit schools over the last 11 months. And uh, we're, we're still in a recruiting dead period, talking about the 2022 kids. We're in a recruiting dead period that right now goes through the end of June. There is some talk about revisiting that and, and making it the middle of April. But there's a very real possibility that these young people in 2022, the 2022 class, they're not going to be able to take visits anywhere until July at the absolute earliest. And who knows what July brings. So recruiting has become <laughs> yep. Recruiting has become this really fascinating thing where lots of mistakes are going to get made that, that would not have been made otherwise. Uh, decisions are, are getting made by kids and by coaches uh, based off Zoom calls and film 
and and that kind of thing and not um, personal interaction and also not being able to have kids come to your camp where you can measure them and you can get them to run and you can clock them and you can look at them and where you could go to their games and, and scout them in person. All of those things have been taken away. And, and uh, the, the, I think the mistakes that are going to be made on the recruiting trail are going to be a pretty big story over the next couple of years. Well, I think, and I think there will be more this year because of the circumstances. However, the, the biggest amount of mistakes that have been made in recruiting is a direct result of what I call the recent history of recruiting. When I was doing it, we would, you, you didn't have early commitments. So signing day was really big. So you might have 10, 12 guys that, I mean, well, right now you'd, you'd start to have 15, 20, but during the season, you didn't have 20 commitments because you didn't offer kids until their senior year. You would never offer a kid in high school a scholarship uh, until their senior year because you don't know what would happen. You don't know 100% about their academics. You didn't get to know them quite as well. And you want to make sure that football-wise that you were watching them in their most important year. That all changed with early signings, camps, and what you can do. And now you have to offer kids – you know, way early in advance. And it's one of the things we do is try to, with some of the consulting work I do is to just make people aware of who the kids are in the class of 2022. In fact, I've got an update on that that we're coming out later this week so that people are aware who they are. But with that, you have more mistakes that are being made on how you evaluate. You have kids make more mistakes because they're committing too early. And as you said, a lot of changes take place. They think they're going to a place and not just, well, the coaching changes, but the style changes. You know what? I don't, I'm not as good of a fit there. And, all, you know, all of a sudden, this other school looks right. Well, it's pretty obvious that the more time you have to make a decision both ways, the, the more variables they are for changes. You didn't – it was a story when a kid flipped a commitment. Now it's really a story if a kid commits early, like, you know, and never wavers. I mean, it's just like, wow, that's, that's really – because now – and then you throw into the mix this transfer anytime you want. And I'm not talking about this year transferring or having an extra year to come back. I'm talking about the whole transfer. That's created a whole environment. You just mentioned with Ole Miss, everybody's in this situation. You're talking about the one time. No- this this oh, is college free agency. Hold on. Hold on. Because hold on. I, I, I think you and I disagree on this. We, we, and I'll ask some questions in the stream I want to get to also. Are you referencing the the one time no penalty transfer? Yeah, I'm talking about just yeah. The, the, I'm not talking about the COVID stand back. The the issue with the transfers is it's created college football free agency, so people are going to hold back scholarships. There's there's an avenue to go into to recruit those guys, and you know, having been involved in the NFL for years, this has become the college football free agent. What? Look at look up at me. Um, hold on. Are you saying you're against the one-time no penalty transfer? No, when I'm talking about it's changed recruiting. It's changed how you save scholarships, and it's changed a little bit how you do it. If you have a player, sure, that you don't, that doesn't turn out like you think he's going to turn out. When you see some of these transfers, a lot of it's not just the kid transferring. A lot of it, it's the kid, it's the school pushing them out the nest. Sure. So what you're doing is. So what I'm trying to explain, maybe obviously doing a bad job of it, is as you go through this earlier and earlier process, the more mistakes are made by the kid, 
the more mistakes are made by the school. And on the back end, there's a way to get around it. So if you maybe offer guys earlier, they don't end up having maybe the football character or they don't develop quite as well. You tend to move them out because you tend to say, I'd rather have that scholarship for someone else. So the transfer portal has created another scouting avenue. It's another uh, player procurement avenue so that a player can move on. He can find somewhere else, but the school can also move on. So it's created a completely different environment. What I'm saying is back when I was doing it, we it was completely different. I was just trying to give a perspective for a lot of maybe our younger audiences that it, you rarely had a transfer. I mean, you had them, but it was a big story when you did. You, and, you, and it was tough to transfer, it, you know, but you didn't offer kids early. So you had a better chance of really knowing and, and, you know, you know, whether it was a good fit or not. So what I'm saying is it's just created a completely different dynamic of how recruiting is done and how it's handled. It is, is very much more like NFL free agency, which is great for the news cycle. Um, I don't know that it's great for most of the kids because, the transfer transfer portal has more people in it than there are scholarships available, and so I worry about the kids that are not the elite guys that are going to find a home. Yeah, the the biggest issue for the young people that, that jump into the transfer portal is that the twenty the the twenty five eighty five numbers are still in effect. You only have twenty five initials per year, and so you know if you if you use twenty one on incoming freshmen slash JUCO guys, you have four left. So you can only take four guys. You can't you can't empty out your roster and go into the transfer portal and sign forty guys. To you know, it just doesn't work like that. So a lot of kids are getting into the transfer portal thinking that they'll have unlimited options and finding out that they have very few options at all because the schools are full. So that's that's the problem uh, with that. I'm I'm for the rule though. I mean I'm I'm for the one time no penalty transfer because um, I just think. I just think if, if a kid goes to a school, especially if a kid's going to a school based on a coach and that coach leaves and he wants out, I don't see why a kid gets punished. Coaches don't get punished when they leave. Um, I don't think kids could, should get punished. Now, I'm, it, now, if you start leaving two, three times, there got to be some regulations. But I like the one-time kind of mulligan rule. Hey, I made a mistake. I want to transfer. I want to play. I want to get closer to home, whatever. One time without being punished, I, I think is a, I think it's a good rule. I think fundamentally it is. I think it needs to have um, some parameters on it because again, there's uh, unintended consequences that come with it because what's happening now in the whole transfer situation is recruiting continues once a kid's on another campus. So you've got schools that are now calling kids, you know, through intermediaries, family members. So, you know, so-and-so is going to one school or the other, and they're recruiting them about, hey, you know, you're not happy there. We got a spot for you here. And that's that's in the coaching profession is be- becoming frustrating because uh, the whole process of recruiting has become, has always been, you know, sinister. It's been, you know, boy, it's, it's, a, it's not a pretty world. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. Trust me, I've, I've been in it. Now it's extending to you never would recruit a kid 
from somebody's camp. I mean, you would never do that back in the day. Now you do it. Now it's you have all of that. And that's that's where some people in the coaching profession are not liking how some of that's taken place. That's that's just uh, one of the byproducts of, hey, it's good to have kids move, but there's always a way to figure out how to make it work to your benefit, right? Yeah, Rock Westfall says, is a market correction coming for the transfer portal? I fear guys that gave up their full rides and don't get picked up will become nightmare examples. Seems like a log jam where a lot of guys will get nothing. It's it's what you what these people try to explain to, to the young guys is, Man, make sure you have a place to go before That's you right. that portal. And, and but listen, it's like anything else. You know, people people listen to the wrong people and they make mistakes and they they jump into the portal and there's no place for them to go and they don't understand the rules and uh, all of a sudden, yeah, they're they're yeah. for lack of a better word, they're homeless. Yeah, uh, hey, you're not going to go to an FCS school and get a scholarship. Well, you don't have as many scholarships there, right? So it's like you know they don't have a home. It's like the whole deal of dealing with you know, for years and years with these, these guys and being, been part of the advisory board in the NFL, you, you got 85 guys think they're going in the first round. I mean, it's common sense, you know, and just, just, it's, you know, and you know, they get advice, but their uncle Joe says they read somewhere on the internet that they're going to be a first rounder. And then they, they're shocked when they're not even drafted. And yet they have no scholarship, no place to go. They, they not, can't afford to go get an education. They, they lost their scholarship. There's no way to develop their football skills now because there's no way to do that. That bothers me because I see that a lot, and I see that a lot in the transfer portal of, look, be careful. Go somewhere, and, and I think the better places will work with that. I know that some of the bigger schools, Saban does, a lot of them do. If you have that kid that's not fitting at Alabama, that's just not quite as good, and they want to go – they will help that kid land somewhere else. So that kid may end up at a Mac school or wherever. And you'll know, make sure that kid's taken care of so that, hey, look, you know, you thought you were going to be starting. You're not quite as, you know, as good as you had thought we had thought. Let's get you a landing spot that's good. And that's the way you have to handle it. But unfortunately, there's just so many that fall through the cracks there. I had a question earlier in the chat. I don't know how to get to it to find it, but uh, one of the it was about Jeff Levy, the Ole Miss mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. I think he's one of the rumored candidates at UCF. What are you hearing about the UCF job? The top people there. Who's who's in the mix there? You know, a lot of people, but Jeff's name has been mentioned, and I don't have a real feel for exactly where they're going to go at this point. Mainly because they're obviously promoting from within, but it is. I'm sorry, it's not a like they're not going outside with a new administration, but it is a new administration. So exactly who they're going to do it, how much they're going to trust the guy that they're promoting to make the decision. So there's a lot of uncertainty about where they're going to go. Um, obviously with, with an unusual circumstance with the athletic director and head coach, both leaving, you know, within a week, it's a, it's a complete, I'm not calling it chaos, but it's a complete uh, do over and with an assistant AD really being involved, but not having the same type of control and clout to just say, I want to go hire this guy. Um, but is, is kind of made that a little bit cloudy. Um, but you know, I do think that Jeff is, is certainly somebody of interest. I just don't know how far up the food chain is he, I would say pretty high, but we'll see. I'll give an update as soon as I can. I know, 
kind of we've talked about it a little bit, and I haven't haven't had anything that's real definitive that I feel good about talking about saying, yeah, this is the way I think it's headed. Yeah, I've talked to some people about it because of the Levy connection, you know, just kind of working that story on, on my end. Um, I was told a couple of different things on Saturday. It was the last time I've talked about it, really. So today's Tuesday. I heard uh, from one person who's pretty connected that there's pressure there to promote Randy Shannon, who uh, is, is there now. And then uh, the other thing that I was told that I, I think has some validity to it is that Gus Malzahn's candidacy, for lack of a better word, is real. That uh, they they like Malzahn. He's interested in the job. Now, interested in the job and willing to take the job might be two different creatures because Gus is, I'm told by people who know Gus pretty well that that this taking a deep breath and, and kind of catching your breath a little bit after all those years at Auburn has been good for him, that he's kind of enjoyed it a little bit more than he thought he would. Um, and then the other, uh, the other name that's popped up a little bit is Tom Herman, the former Texas coach that, uh, you know, he's been talked about at, at UCF. It's funny. It's you hear UCF and you think group of five job or whatnot. There are a lot of people in the coaching business. You know, this better than, than a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Mathis points out Gene Chizik wants the job too. Uh, there are a lot of people in the coaching business who say, hey, this this UCF job is better than a lot of Power 5 jobs. Well, because it it really gets you on path to get a bigger job if that's the direction you want to go. Uh, in, a, in a couple of those cases, too, you know, Gus and Tom, there's – it's it for UCF, it's a name that comes cheap for a while. So basically um, – you know, they can pay them a little less because they're getting paid by another institution. And so uh, th- that that makes it a little cost friendly for them. Uh, but it is a good stepping stone job. In fact, it may be the premier one. And oh, by the way, it's it's located in Orlando, Florida. I mean, it's just kind of a, you know, not just recruiting, but it is a if you're an older guy or younger guy. I mean, the wife and the kids are just you know, doing cartwheel saying, really, you know, and, you know, like Orlando, Florida, that's, that's great. Go to see Mickey every, whenever, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it really has a lot of, um, it has a lot of merit to it. No, no disrespect, but, um, you know, it's a little different between there and say Boise, Idaho, you know, unless you're from the Northwest. And of course that job doesn't come open very often, but, um, but UCF certainly has a lot going for it. And because they've had some success, they parlayed that into, something that's real successful in a consistent program so that if you're, you're, you're likely going to win there and it usually results in somebody getting a better job. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that's appealing for somebody that, you know, Hey, look, I can enjoy being there and then I may have other options open up. So there's no question that it is not a quote unquote group of five job. It's a job that's in the group of five. Yeah, oh, it's a good job. It's I've had Ole Miss people ask me, would Jeff Levy take the job? I'm like, of course he would take the sure, job. Sure, it's a head coaching job, and it's a and it's a it's one hell of a one. That's not yeah. that's not an issue whether he take it. It's just oh, whether that's where they're going to go. Absolutely. If he if he's offered the head coaching job at UCF, he's going to take it. All right. Speaking of Florida, the University of Florida picks up uh, Eric Gilbert. Hey, uh, the former LSU tight end, uh, national recruit. I always kind of thought he would end up at Georgia maybe Georgia Tech, something like that. A little surprised today that he ends up at Florida. Um, I know that the way that Florida used Kyle Pitts was very attractive to him, but there was a lot of talk about him being homesick. Gainesville's good ways from home as well. 
Uh, so I guess a two-part question here. How surprised are you that it's Florida, and, and how much of an impact does Eric Gilbert have for the Gators? Not all that surprised because the whole homesick thing leaving LSU was kind of a, you know, a, a smokescreen for the reality is he went to LSU for one reason. Okay. He went to LSU because LSU was coming off of a great offense, Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. And he's thinking, I'm going to be that guy, you know, um, you know, Thaddeus Moss and everybody else that big, I'm going to go in and I'm, I'm going to be able to get, well, he goes in and obviously LSU doesn't have those pieces together, including the coaching. So, and yeah, I, when you're not, when you're struggling and things are not going well and you're not getting all your touches and, you know, um, and, and he, I think has some little bit of, you know, let's call it maturity issues kind of, you know, growing up. And I think homesick becomes a factor when you're not doing all that well and right. you're not, you know, you, it's not going the way you want, but you know, and they're, they're, they're certainly couching. And I know one of the, um, the, the, the beat reporters there and George is talking about, well, they couldn't promise you that the, the, here's the bottom line is George's offense. While certainly has all the signs of being a little bit more prolific with the passing game. Um, there's still a lot of question marks. So if you're that young guy, you're, you're, you're wondering, okay. Uh, Cause there's some talks about, well, he, he wanted to be guaranteed seven to 10. Well, you know, I don't that that's, I'm sure the conversation went about what's this offense, how I'm going to be featured, yada, yada, yada. And I'm sure you usually throw in numbers and ideas, but the reality is, um, so you look at Florida and you look what they have done recently with Pitts. Now you can make the case that it may not be as productive this year. The passing game may not be as productive. The offense may look a little different, but I still think they're going to feature the tight end, but it's going to Florida because it features him. I mean, let's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not about that. I mean, I think it's about, you know, if it was just homesick, it would be between Georgia and Georgia tech. And I think people, um, looked at that, but I think with Georgia, you know, uh, I think they'll throw it more. And I think obviously there'll be a more proficient passing attack, but the reality is, I think there was that kid had some questions about, okay, how much better, you know, how am I going to be featured? Cause I haven't really seen it. You know, it's kind of gone on faith. And I think he just was, you know, a little bit more intrigued by what Florida has done with their tight ends. Cause it's the most recent situation with, they see Kyle Pitts. It's as simple as that. Not the whole, well, he went, well, again, I think a lot of that is just, you know, how people see it from their perspective. See a game changer for the Gators. I do. Again, though, Kyle Trask is not going to be there. So the passing game may not be as effective. Now, I will say that the best friend for a quarterback in the passing game is a tight end. I mean, I think you can create mismatches to where you don't have to be as precise and get the ball to him. So I absolutely think there's every chance with how they will run that offense. Um that he can be successful, but, but obviously I don't, I don't expect Kyle Pitts numbers because I don't expect someone to be as proficient throwing the football as Kyle Trask did this past year. So we touched on recruiting. I was reading yesterday, Chris, that this Alabama class that will be finalized tomorrow, that is basically already finalized. Mm -hmm. 
is from a rankings standpoint, the best recruiting class in the history of recruiting classes. <laughs> um, you've, you've looked at a lot of these guys. I know um, how much talent infusion is Alabama, the program that is already the elite program in the country. How much, how much better is Alabama getting? Really good. Like, like for example, that offensive line was great this past year. I think this offensive line class going in talent wise is the best offensive line class he's had um, since he's been there. Now that's, that's partly due to you've got numbers and quality because they're, they don't recruit guys that can't play and they got a number of them that fit. Now that doesn't mean that the JC Lathams and the Brockemeyer boys are going to play next year. In fact, they're not, but you know, Terrence Ferguson is outstanding. Um, They've got a lot of these. It's really good. And then they've got certainly um, the McKinney kid at corner is is really good. And the, the Hall kid at receiver, you know, they lose some receivers, obviously. Uh, the Lawton kid at linebacker is really good. Um, you know, so it's it's really, really outstanding. Um, you know, like anything else, you know, I always tell folks, and it's my idea on how to evaluate recruiting and, and for Full disclosure, with my work in the NFL, I, I don't I don't have time to look at 5,000 kids. The work I do, and the only reason why I look at recruiting players on film is because doing some of the consulting work, I only I get a list of about 500 guys that the college coaches feel are some of the best. So I get to look at kind of that group and occasionally a few others. And, you know, sometimes the guys that maybe are a little bit ranked high, sometimes I think are a little overrated and some are underrated. The big key is, and this is the tough part, I don't know a lot of these kids personally. So what's their football character? What's their personal character, school? How many of them they're going to be there long term? Um, in Alabama's case, well, that's a different situation. They're going to be there as long as they do what they're supposed to do and as long as Alabama wants them. But in any of these classes, if you're going to talk about, well, they've got this class and that class, I'm going to piggyback off to what we just talked about. So if you're out there and looking at your favorite school's recruiting class ranking, if you're Ole Miss, you're Tennessee, and you know, you're LSU, whatever, <laughs> in two years, how many of the guys are going to be there? I mean, if we have the rate of transfers, then, you know, you really have to look at, you know, in, in, in two years, how many guys that are on other people's classes may end up in your class and vice versa. And so I think people put too much into it yet. I also think that a lot of these services and, you know, you're close with it, but a lot of it is really what we call information gathering. So they get information from college coaches and share information about basically the recruiting services, share information about what the kids are telling them about who they like. Because as a coach, they'll tell you, yeah, I'm coming to LSU, coach. Yeah, you know, and they get on the phone and tell Ole Miss they're doing the same thing or Alabama they're doing the same thing. So it's good to have an independent person to kind of maybe get a feel for, you know, I think the kids are leaning here or there. It helps you from a recruiting strategic standpoint. But the recruiting services get a lot of information about how to rank guys from the people that are trained and coaches that can evaluate better. 
so a lot of it is a lot of information. And, and so if an Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State's recruiting a kid that's a three-star, then that kid's automatically going up to four-star. Trust me. They're, they're, you know, because obviously something's missed there. And so, um, and, and again, I think a lot of the misgrading and the misevaluation is going to be a normal process when you have such a, well, we're going to offer guys so early. You better go back and study guys late to get on that guy that, quote-unquote, wasn't a four- or five-star back as a sophomore when everybody was making offers. All of a sudden, he's just, you know, an elite player now. So I think you I think you see a lot of that. So finding those type of guys – I think are really important. And how does a guy really fit? Is he guy? Is he a type of guy that's going to come in and going to work? I mean, Mac Jones is the three star. Well, he end up moving up to a four star, you know, because Alabama, you know. But that's a guy that stayed in the system. That's a guy that if he didn't stay in the system at Alabama, where would he be? Where would Alabama have been this past year? Case in point, uh, a lot of if you bring these guys again again, and they move on, you know, you lose your development. Georgia's had a lot to do with that, particularly at the quarterback position. A lot of guys that they've recruited that are very highly recruited quarterbacks, but they haven't really developed them well, and a lot of them have left. Well, therefore, you got problems. And so it looks good on paper, but the recruiting classes are not nearly as good because they don't sustain or keep those guys in their program. And that's, I think, is lost there. But I, I agree with this. Alabama um, class is outstanding. This Georgia class looks really good. This LSU class looks really good. This Annams class looks really good. Um, yeah, here's the uh, here's the rival. Florida looks pretty good too. Yeah, on those lines, this is the rivals top twenty five as of right now. Alabama's one, Ohio State, Oregon. LSU's four, you mentioned them, Georgia's five, Clemson six, Texas A&M seven, Jimbo continuing to build a, a power there, in my opinion. Um, I, I know yours as well. Um, Southern Cal is eight, Notre Dame nine, Florida is 10, Michigan, Miami, Oklahoma, Tennessee still sitting at 14, which is quite frankly kind of a surprise. Um, Wisconsin's 15, Texas 16, North Carolina, Ole Miss is 18, Nebraska 19, Maryland 20. Eli Drinkwitz uh, doing a really good job at Missouri on the recruiting trail. They're 21, uh, followed by Pitt, Mississippi State at 23, Iowa at 24, and uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks, Sam Pittman and company, at 25. So it, it, it tells you just how the obvious, the, the duh statement of the day, how brutally difficult the SEC is. Arkansas, the 25th best class in the country, this according to Rivals.com, and yet Arkansas is, what, ninth in the SEC, 10th in the SEC. It, it speaks volumes for just how difficult the league is. Yeah. That's I tell people, you know, it's like a a golf tournament. You know, if you're you're five shots back going into the final round and you are you got one person in between you and the leader, that's doable. You know, the leader has double bogey. You're right in the mix. You got eight or ten people in the mix. It's it's difficult to have all those people collapse. Well, you're in the SEC. You just said it. You can have a good recruiting class. You can be in Arkansas, do a really good job, but it's all relative. If you're getting, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth best class in the conference, that means you're going to have to 
do a couple of things. Well, some of those classes above you have to be overrated. They have to have a little bit more chaos. Those classes have to move on. You have to develop very, very well. Keep those guys in the play, in the system and really do a good job. And you're going to have to, what I call, upcoach a little bit. And, you know, certainly at Arkansas, I, I think a lot of their fans, you know, have goal, hopes and aspirations of maybe winning the West one day. But the reality is if you go to bowl games and Maybe you pull an upset a year against somebody. You, you can be there a long term, but there's no question that it puts you. It puts you, you know, again, if you're eighth in the league, you're you're probably going to be around that in terms of a personnel group. And the only thing that you can hope for is stability and being able to coach. By the way, I know that since we've visited the last time, uh, I know that the the Arkansas defensive line coach, um, Jamel Ains- uh, Ashley is is official going to go to Tulsa to be the new uh, D line coach there. So, um, and he's got a lot of experience coaching in three and four man fronts. So some of the more fronts that they use, but uh, yeah, so development's going to have to be pivotal. It's going to have to be really key. Curious to see um, in this first year, Neil is not going to be fair, but I'm curious to see how well Brian Harson recruits. Um, long-term that's the other part of the recruiting calendar that I hate is if you are making a coaching change that current year's recruiting class is just it's it's done it's over it's there's not a whole lot you can do it's one of the again another parts of the the college football calendar that I just despise but anyway yeah it's uh if, if you if you're willing to make a change, you have to be willing to basically sacrifice a, mm-hmm. a recruiting class. The way it works, it's that's that part of it. That part factors into the calculus too. Um, all right, we'll we'll pivot to some other things here in a second. First, I want to tell you that we're brought to you by Blue Sky. Blue Sky believes in being fast, fresh, and friendly. Um, through their thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores. Blue Sky hopes to provide customers with a fast and easy buying experience. From services to products, Blue Sky plans to keep things fresh. They always provide the freshest flavors of their brand name products and the best services available. They even bring in some of the newest products in the market to their stores to provide an even better customer experience. A smile can say it all. And at Blue Sky, they want to show their customers they care about them and their shopping experience. So they'll always strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that. So check out Blue Sky today at any one of their 48 store locations across the southeast we are um we're also brought to you by uh, alpha specialties uh, alpha specialties is uh located on 1670 highway 80 in pearl mississippi it's your trailer specific professional if you want to haul it they can call it alpha is the premium trailer dealership in mississippi they've got load trail the premium brand trailer the highest quality utility equipment dump and gooseneck trailers being built today uh fully primed and powder coated load trail trailers come with an industry leading three-year warranty and two years of roadside assistance alpha specialties also has hallmark cargo trailers one of the most quality cargo trailers on the market today perfect for hauling goods to markets and shows atvs to deer camp hauling race cars and more alpha can even work with third parties to have game day trailers and concession trailers built just for you for podcast listeners, Alpha has spare tires and wheels starting at just $100. Alpha has a full selection of travel, of, I'm sorry, of trailer parts and accessories, hitches, winches, straps, and more. They also do all kinds of uh, truck accessories. Listeners can also get 10% off a yearly trailer service and inspection at Alpha's full service shop. 
They can repair all types of trailers, concession, horse, utility, enclosed, gooseneck, RV, and more. So give them a call at 601-932-9798 or check them out at alphaofms.com. Make sure you tell them you heard about Alpha on the MPW Digital Network of Podcasts, which includes SEC Football and Beyond. Um, hey, but, I'm thinking about something. Yeah. I, I want to bring something up. I, I just thinking about this. Um, you know, I, I, the old days, I can remember stories about, um, particularly when there weren't scholarship limits, but particularly if you're in a, a, in a place in one part of the country and you have a coaching buddy in another part of the country, sometimes you would alert them about a player in the old days of recruiting where maybe there's a guy that you knew a lot about, you didn't have a room for him, but you didn't want him to go to your rival or somebody you're going to play against, you kind of tipped them off in another part. You know, I, I am, I really believe this is going to happen. I've heard nothing like nothing official, but I think what's going to happen in this day of transfers. And I'm thinking about this because we had a big trade in the NFL this past week and trades often happen to, you know, when you have, you know, Brandon Holmes going from the Rams to, to Detroit and boom, you got a connection, you, you make some deals. I think we're going to see this sometimes to where, you know, I, I need another corner. I need another safety. And, and you will maybe make a call to somebody that's trying to create a little room for somebody because they need another lineman or what have you. And you almost make like college trades. Hey, look, this kid uh, will take good care of me. You know, we'll do a good job. We'll take your guy almost like a college trade, except you don't have to trade picks and all that. You just, uh, I think you're going to see some of that. You're not going to see within the conference, you know, obviously, and you're going to go and play somebody, but I think, I think you could see that. Um, and I, I think that is something to look out for down the road. I know I've heard whispers of that, but it's going to be interesting, uh, to, to follow this. Let's talk about that trade. I'm curious to get your thoughts. The Rams and the Lions get together on a quarterback trade. Matthew Stafford goes from Detroit to the Rams for, uh, was it two ones, a three, and uh, quarterback. And the quarterback, yeah, um, <laughs> which proves the point. Uh, Jared Goff has sort of fallen off in the, in the eyes of the Rams. They invested a ton of money in him, $110 million, give or take a few million, and uh, he's no longer their quarterback of the future. They they became disgruntled with him over the course of the season. Matthew Stafford's 33 years old. He's had a pretty solid career in Detroit, never won a playoff game. I don't know how much of that is his fault, how much of that is is the fault of a, what appears to be a poorly run organization at times. What what, what were your thoughts on, on well, that? Well, look, look at it both from both sides because I think there's, there are issues there. From Detroit's standpoint, Matthew Stafford, 32 years old, um, They've not had success. I think he's a talented quarterback, but they've not had success with him. New regime. Uh, he wanted to move on. I think they understood it, felt comfortable. It gives them some draft capital. Now, always remember, I always get a kick out of when people say, well, what's this guy going to cost? Uh, two first-round picks. Uh, a first-round pick is not a first-round pick. They're not made equal. Okay, There's the first pick in the first round. There's the 32nd pick in the first round, and there's everything in between. So. You got, we don't, when we make trades in the league, you don't look at it as first round picks. We look at it in overall numbers. We look at it at 10, 15, you know, 35, whatever the number is. Um, for Detroit, they get a couple of things. They get two first round picks, which will 
likely be. We don't know where they're going to be. So when you make a trade in the future, you have to do two things. You pretty much the rule of thumb is you kind of make it a like the 16th pick because it's kind of the middle of the first round and you work from there because it's but you have to make it with the idea that what if the Rams are really, really good? It could be a late first round pick the next two years. But and you have to be comfortable with that. So you have to say, all right, what if it's the 30th pick? Oh, we're good with that. Well, you have to be good with it because it could very well be that way. Because remember, the next the, the first round picks are the next two years, not so you get you get two first round picks and you get a quarterback that's a starting caliber quarterback. And if nothing else is a bridge quarterback for Detroit, it is not to mean that Detroit is tying their future to Jared Goff. They can get out from under his contract without a lot of, you know, pain after next year. They really can. So I still think they're draft young quarterback and the best case scenario, he plays well and maybe he's an answer. Maybe he's a bridge. Maybe he's a guy that can play for a couple of years effectively, or, you know, they move on from him in a year and use those picks. So essentially they're trading him for the pick for the Rams. They're making this move because they, they see the talent of Matthew Stafford. They feel they can win and make a run. Now they've been good. They've been a playoff team. They've been to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. The defense has been really good. Just lost their defensive coordinator. Um, they feel that Stafford can take this offense to a different level and make plays like the Josh Allen's, the Patrick Mahomes of the world can, and Jared Goff can't remember Jeff Jared had some injuries this this past playoffs, but not the same type of talent, no doubt. But what it does with the Rams, just a perfect example. Look how much money they gave this guy the second contract. Look how much money they put into him. Yeah. And so this was partly done to get a dump. We bleeped up on this deal. Let's try to dump it to somebody that can afford to absorb it in order to get a couple of picks and then get out from under it in a year if they need to. So that's part of the deal. It's it has a chance to work for both teams, but for the Rams, it needs to be, you know, for them, there's you never make a trade with boy, it better you win it better win the Super Bowl. Well, you, you, all you can do is be in the mix. I think the Rams are in the mix, but they're gonna have to do good things around the quarterback, and it's a better situation for him. I, I see the merits on both sides. People say, Well, who won it? Uh, you don't know who's gonna win a trade until down the road. There's a reason why. There's a lot of circumstances that go in with it, but that's the merit of both deals. Um, what's interesting, and I'm, I'm working on a piece right now I'm going to have up on the website, of what went on behind the scenes of who else was in it. Boy, there are a lot of people that were in it and a lot of people trying to make deals and what have you. Now all eyes are pointed towards Houston, Texas. I was going and to ask, used, yeah. what does this deal do for the market for Deshaun Watson? How does this well, – how does how does this change what the price is for Watson? I've heard, I've heard one. Um, I think it was John McClain uh, with the Houston Chronicle, longtime NFL writer, a longtime columnist there in, in Houston. He said he thought that this deal, if it if you use it as a as a gauge for uh, moving forward, this deal sort of limits the market for Deshaun Watson, perhaps to just the New York Jets, because the New York Jets have those two number ones. He said two ones two twos and at least one defensive starter off the jets for Deshaun Watson, because Houston could then take one of those ones, which is the second pick in the draft and take the second quarterback in the draft after obviously Jacksonville selects, um, uh, Lawrence. Well, 
couple of things there. The Jets are in better position because of where their picks are. Because, again, well, if he got two first-round picks, this one's going to get four. No, because you can get two first-round picks. If they're the Jets, that's a completely different pick. That's like a round higher than what, you know, the Rams are going to have. So so keep that in mind. Again, remember, it's not the round, but it is the overall number. Any trade, and I do think right now the teams that are working the hardest on a trade for watching, that's if the Texans trade them. They say they're not trading them. We'll see if they hold to that. It's the Panthers and the Jets. The Jets have a lot of ammunition. Any trade, though, is going to involve the quarterback. Because the Texans are going to need either Bridgewater or Darnold in any trade, because that'll be their bridge quarterback, and then they can draft their guy. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I mean the Jets have a lot of ammunition. What they have to decide is they've got a lot of ammunition for a reason. They've got a lot of needs. Is Deshaun Watson going to elevate them and carry them, or is it just going to be a little bit more of you know? I mean, I would say that. If you're going from the Texans where there's not a lot of help, you're going to go to the Jets with not a lot of help. And if you're going to evacuate some of those picks, it's, you know, all that longer, you know, but he is a younger quarterback and there is some merit to it. We'll, we'll kind of see, but um, that's kind of, kind of where that is. They're saying all the things, but um, I'm, I'm very curious to see we're, we're seeing, we've seen now players begin to talk their way out of teams uh, even though the teams are saying they're not. I, I think if you're the Texans, you got to do everything you can to repair it, but you better be prepared to make a deal. And I think you need to really work hard to try to do that prior to the draft. Because if you don't, then you're, the picks are going to have to be into next year, and it becomes a little bit more complicated to do a deal. And then you may eliminate some teams that might be interested because if you're – well, let's just say the Jets or the Panthers, and you draft your quarterback, they may be less interested in doing that deal, you know, right after the draft. So it it's on the clock. So let's talk about speaking on the clock. There's some other things that are on the clock. Aaron Rodgers unhappy in Green Bay. Green Bay's like, no, no, he's our franchise. How do they make him happy? What happens with Dak Prescott and Dallas? Um, a lot of teams out there kind of hunting quarterbacks. Do you anticipate this being as volatile of a quarterback offseason as some people in the NFL are predicting? Well, yeah, because we're already off to that start. I mean, I think Watson is the biggest one. Aaron Rodgers is not going anywhere. Uh, we could see some others. I mean, um, you know, I think there's some some other possibilities, obviously, um, depending on what the Jets do, what they think about Dorno and the quarterbacks in this draft, that could be a possibility. They may, that's the other thing too. If you're the Jets, you've got to look at, see who you can get, who you like in this draft. And um, those are all possibilities there, but obviously the, the Sean Watson's the biggest one. Aaron Rodgers, no, um, I, you know, I, how do you make him? I, I, I think the, the frustrating thing for them is, is I think they felt like they had a team that was good enough. I think the way you do it is you continue to build the defense in the run game and make another run at it. Cause I think they're it, it, Aaron Rodgers is not going anywhere else to have a better chance. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, you know, people just, you know, what I call ballroom talk, you know, say, well, you end up back home in Northern California and San Francisco. Well, I mean, it sounds good, but it's not a really a deal there to be made. 
the Packers have no motivation to do it. So with the team that they have. Who is New England's quarterback next year? <clears throat> well, it's uh, to be determined. Don't have that answer yet. I think that they're going to be players and looking at some veteran options, but certainly in the draft as well. Um, to be determined. It's um, uh, don't know at this point. It's not on the roster. I'll say that. Did uh, anybody in Mobile? I know you talked about this some on, on Friday. Anybody in Mobile change their stock quite a bit over the yeah, course? Yeah, I, I think the guys that you know that to me that a couple of things. Um, th there are two categories of guys that are in the best position to help themselves. One are the small college guys because they're up in level of competition and they've done everything other than do it against really good competition. So I think probably the guy that helped himself the most was a guy by the name of Quinn Miners. His name is, you, you look at the last name, folks, <clears throat> it, it doesn't think it's, it's spelled, uh, pronounced Miners. He replaced Lander Dickerson. Lander had the injury and showed up and all that, but couldn't play. He's from Wisconsin Whitewater. I did look at some tape this year of him, but the fact that he was able to perform so well during the week helped him. Uh, I think the receiver from Western Michigan, Dwayne Estridge, did a really good job. I like um, the safety from um, Central Florida, Richie Grant. Uh, uh, people need to be aware of him. Dylan Radness of North Dakota State, again, they didn't play this year. He and Trey Lance, quarterback, he's a really good one. Uh, Deontay Smith of East Carolina, Cameron Sample, the defensive lineman from Tulane, did a really good job. Um, among others, I got a complete list on the website. Got an evaluation of every player at at the Senior Bowl. Mac Jones had a great week of practice. He was clearly the best quarterback there. The fact that he couldn't play due to the injury really helped Kellen Mond because he did a pretty nice job. I'm not as high on Kellen, but some you know I, th I thought he helped himself in the bowl game. The other category of players that helped themselves are the guys that play alternate alternate positions or do things that are a little different than what they're asked to do in college. So Demetric Felton at UCLA playing a different position. Kadarius Coney doing a little bit more in practice than, than even what they're asked to do in college. A guy that plays a little bit more press coverage than he's asked to do in college or off coverage. You know, um, those are the type of things. A guy that um, will play – tackle but prove that he can go inside and effectively play guard and maybe play out a left-handed stance or right-handed stance those things are really important uh, in addition to the fact that um every team was able to meet with every player for 15 minutes which is really pivotal in in the uh, in lieu of uh, not having a uh, a true face-to-face -face combine uh, interviews this year yeah it's it's, it's going to be that 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 draft, the build up to the draft, typically is so intense with meetings and getting to know guys and figuring them out, and you're not going to be able to do some of that. It's it's really going to be interesting to see how that impacts the decision making process. Did did Jones work his way up in the first round? Is he is he definitely a first? Round? I, I I think he's going to go there because again, a guy that even with high second round grades, that's going to put him in the first round. Guys with six four grades high second round are going to go in the first round. You only have 18 to 22 first round grades in any year. 22 is high. I mean, I've had 24, 25. That's a, that's a loaded year. You don't have 32 first round grades folks. So um, quarterbacks, which are overvalued with a high second round value are going to go in the first round because of the importance of the position. And 
you get that extra year on the, the contract. So you get an extra year to develop them, a fifth-year deal versus a second-round pick, only a four-year deal. So uh, now let me say this. Did he help himself to the point where Carolina, who was able to be close with him, that could be interesting. That could absolutely – I could not, it would not shock me if that happened. So he absolutely helped himself. He is a – I, I kind of knew the kid through Nick and him, but I got to tell you, you talk about a super mature kid. I mean, oh yeah, you talk about somebody that's just like, yes sir, no sir, just you know, do things that other people don't. Thank the cameraman, you know, when he's doing it. It's just things that are just you want somebody that's going to be the face of your organization, represent you. Very really, really good. He's very um, organized. He's he's uh, he has a, a tremendous attention to detail. He's very intelligent. Um, there's a lot there. I mean, listen, there's a lot there. He, he got overlooked a little bit at Alabama because of sitting behind Hertz and sitting behind Tunga Valoa and, and only being the starter really for one full season. But the, the school, the skill set on him is pretty good. And, and if you're, if your argument is that his best football is ahead of him, which is what I think, um, I think. Listen, Chris, I think I think Mac Jones has a chance to be one of the steals of the first round. He's very accurate. He's very good in the red zone. The ball comes out because the ball comes out quickly, and he's very accurate. He's not big. He doesn't have a gun for an arm, and he doesn't move very well. That's the one thing that's going to be an issue. As you move him off the platform, he won't ne- be nearly as good. And, and the pro game is going to be different. You, you know, He's got a huge advantage with a clean pocket. He does a good job from the neck up against pressure. Yeah. But he doesn't he doesn't move quite as well. It's the one thing that could prevent him from being kind of that really, really good. I think he can be a starter, but you're going to have to. I mean, he's a pure pocket guy that you're going to have you know, it, it, like we'll see this in the Super Bowl. Mahomes is going to be without his starting tackles. Watch it's significant, but watch what he can do and what they can do with him. If you're a pure pocket guy, you're 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 gonna. There's less you can do with that. So, look, always remember it's how a guy translates his game to the next level, not how productive he was in college. Still like him, but I but I think there's some there's a reason why he won't be. You know, he's got some of the intangibles that that uh, Joe Burrow has. He's got some of the qualities that Kurt Warner had, uh, accuracy. Um, but in, in today's movement game, he's a little bit limited there. So, But but I think he'll be fine. Got about five weeks of uh, college basketball left in, in the SEC, certainly, uh, getting started with another week tonight. Uh, right now, Alabama 9-0 and in the league. They lost at Norman, Oklahoma on Saturday. If you like college basketball and you've been disappointed with the play this season, which is and raised. That was a great game. Uh, Alabama and Oklahoma was a very entertaining basketball game in Norman on Saturday. Alabama 14 and four overall, and nine and zero in the league. Florida and LSU six and three in the league. Tennessee five and three. Missouri four and three. Arkansas five and four. Uh, they had a, a tight loss at Oklahoma State on Saturday. That was another really entertaining basketball game. Cade Cunningham, the guard for Oklahoma State, is a special, special player. Kentucky four and four in the league, Auburn four and five in the league, as is Mississippi State, Georgia and Ole Miss both three and six, South Carolina two and four, A and M two and six, Vanderbilt one and six in the SEC. The, the slate begins tonight. 
Tennessee is at Ole Miss. That's a 6 o'clock Central time game, as is Georgia at Auburn. Uh, Auburn uh, looking to um, to get back in the winning column with uh, Cooper there at the point. Mississippi State and Arkansas tonight in Fayetteville. That's an 8 o'clock start uh, wrapping up um, today's games. Let's see, tomorrow in the SEC wrapping up uh, – the first part of the week, South Carolina is at Florida. Uh, the Gamecocks have just been riddled by COVID. They're, they're having a hard time getting their games in. LSU is uh, at Alabama. L- LSU got thumped by the Crimson Tide in Baton Rouge. They'll look for some payback against the Tide on um, on Wednesday night. Both of those games are, are the early games, uh, as is Kentucky at Missouri. Uh, that game, as of this moment, still scheduled to be played, Chris, but there's been some talk about some COVID issues there and then Vanderbilt is at Texas A&M, that game, a uh, 7.30 start on the SEC Network on uh, on Wednesday night. So that's kind of a your quick look at the uh, state of SEC basketball right now. There's been a lot of talk, Chris, about the tournament's going to happen. Um, I don't. I, I just don't see the it. conference tournament you're talking about. Yeah, the, the NCAA tournament. It, it, yeah, I just want to make sure people understand. The NCAA tournament's happening. Yeah. You'll call my conference tournament. Yeah, the conference tournament. I, I have long thought it would not happen. There's there's now a lot of talk that that the uh, the league is determined to make it happen uh, in Nashville next month. There was some correspondence between SIDs and and media over the course of the last few days that indicate there's momentum in that regard. The only thing about it, and we'll talk about this as we get into March, is before you can go to Indiana to play in the NCAA tournament, you have to have seven straight days of negative COVID testing. Seven straight days, which makes me wonder if you're a team, take Alabama, for example, that's your bid to the tournament's wrapped up. Do you want to go to Nashville and play and, and, and risk it? Or do you want to just kind of lock yourself up in Tuscaloosa, make sure everybody's clean, and then head to Indiana to play in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I was I was going to mention it. You did a good job there. I was going to mention it for the folks that are wondering, well, what is the issue about conference tournaments? Well, Everyone is focused on the NCAA tournament because the importance of playing in it to the point of they're a little bit fearful of kind of all being together at a conference tournament environment. Not that they're going to be, you know, in all in the same room or anything, but they're fearful that it might uh, jeopardize their ability to play in the tournament, meaning, you know, you have COVID issues that rare up and there's a lot of people that are thinking, man, you know, uh, well, let's just skip it this year, conference tournament-wise, and let's get to the NCAA tournament. That's the only thing that truly matters that has to happen, will happen. Um, so there's a lot of talk about that. But then there's, you know, I mean, there's there's a side that says, hey, you know, want to play for the conference, yada, 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 yada. But, yeah, that's not the issue. The issue is just health and fear, and um, that's obviously what basketball is having to deal with right now in this this COVID environment. Yeah, the, the the reason to play the conference tournaments is the TV money. That's it. I mean, I, that's that's it. That, that's the only reason to play them. Uh, but the NCAA is, is going to make sure the NCAA tournament happens. They have to have that money to, to mm. this season to simply survive. Yeah, to survive. All right, uh, that does it for this edition of SEC Football and Beyond. We'll come back on Friday. We'll uh, we'll wrap up recruiting. It'll be over by then. We'll uh, we'll talk about that. We'll also uh, get you ready for. Super Bowl 55. We'll get Chris's thoughts on Tampa and Kansas City. Is there a way that the Bucks and Tom Brady can pull off the upset? Tampa Bay, as of right now, a three-point underdog uh, against Kansas City on uh, Super Sunday. So we'll talk about those things and more. Thanks to everybody in the chat for uh, being with us today. 
And uh, we hope to see you on Friday morning at 9. Until then, for Chris, I'm Neil. Take care. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.